Good morning. It's been a blessing to be here as far this morning. That uh, as we go through this, that we can continue to be blessed by God's Word. It's this part of our service. This morning's message is possibly the first of series of messages. I'm not sure if I'll go back to back or spread them out. But I began a search into the word uh, repentance and what that looks like for me. And this, this study led me into uh, God's overall plan of salvation. <clears throat> and I was thinking about it and I thought it would be interesting to do more of a study into the complete subject and for better understanding for myself and decided there's no better way than to uh, study it for for sermons. So this is the beginning of that, that study this morning. And as I was preparing the message, I realized it kind of falls into a Good Friday message. I know it's two weeks away yet, but next week we have the special meetings and then the following week I think is Easter, if I'm not wrong. So what's the first thing you think about when you think about God's plan of salvation? Is it Jesus bleeding on the cross? Or your personal testimony of Jesus living within you? How He changed you? Or maybe a picture of a loving Father who's loved us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, this morning, that's where we will be starting, looking at a loving father, and how from Genesis to Jesus, God was preparing the world <clears throat> to be prepared to and ready to receive this plan of salvation through him. And sometimes the Old Testament can be very helpful in understanding the New Testament, and I appreciated where Ellis went this morning, and we're going to do the same thing. Go back to the Old Testament to better understand the New. And the first time I taught Sunday school was in the Old Testament. It was what we went through a couple quarters ago, Joshua, Caleb, these leaders of Israel. And I, I think I can say that as has opened the Old Testament to me with the types and shadows of Christ that are found over and over as you go through the pages of the Old Testament. I've also come to the conclusion that without the Old Testament, we lose some of the significance and the importance of the things that God brought about in the New Testament. So the message this morning on the plan of salvation has nothing to do with us other than the fact that God looked ahead to 2023 and knew that we would all be here, that I would be here and would need a Savior, would need help because on our own, we wouldn't be good enough. We'd be lost forever. We'd never be able to do enough of good to come into the presence of a holy God and not be condemned. The message title this morning is the Day of Atonement. It's a word that's 
The word atonement is found over a hundred times in the Old Testament, and a greater percent of those are found in Leviticus. And it has the the Greek word kalfer is to cover or to appease, to cleanse, to forgive, to pardon, to purge, to put off. So it has the has the meaning of cover. And the word this word was used over and over for the children of Israel to make sacrifices after sacrifices just over and over and over again to cover for sins, for cleansings, for different illnesses. And and purge would have been one of those definitions for like an illness uh, with leprosy. They had to do go through some rituals and, and blood sacrifice to purge them if they were healed. And we can say that God was unreasonable in requiring so much of them we can argue that they did not have what we have on this side of Jesus. But I ask this question, is, is, it, is obedience easier now, today, living in the light of Jesus coming, than it was for them to keep the law? When Delmar Troyer was at MBS for revivals, he made a statement that stuck with me. It was this. Obedience builds conviction. It doesn't matter where in history we are living, if we are living in the obedience of God, in obedience to Him, He can bless us. And as you continue to live in that blessing, you will automatically build convictions for these things that you are doing because you are doing what God is asking you to do. It's no longer a burden, but it's a joy to do something that pleases God. And taking a little side note, I found it interesting that the same word atonement was used in Genesis 6.14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms shall thou make in the ark, thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this word pitch is the same word as used for atonement. The first one, thou shalt pitch it. So that was atonement. And then the second, thou shalt do it within and without with pitch, was a word almost the same in the Greek, coffer. And that is also to cover. But it, it gives more of the product meaning of ransom, of satisfaction, money. That was of a redemptive price. So the wood was the structure of the ark, but without applying that pitch, they would not be safe. But it was the application of the product, that pitch, that would keep them safe within this ark. And the ransom was paid. We just need to apply this blood that I'm going to talk about later as we get into the, the atonement. Uh, verses. And getting a little ahead of myself, but we can see the process of how God wanted man to make these atonement offerings to cover for their sins. Because of man's obedience in doing what God asked him to do, he would protect them. It satisfied God and he would forgive their sins. It was the redemption, it was the redemption price for their sins. 
And I'm going to be doing quite a bit of reading this morning. Uh, my main passage is going to be in Leviticus 16. But I'm going to spend quite a bit of time before I read from there, starting from Genesis up to that chapter, when God began preparing people from the very beginning. And I think it's very important that we understand the working of God through the scripture and how, how he did this. And I'm going to be reading verses off my, off my notes, so if you want to try and stay with, I'll say the verses. <clears throat> But beginning in the Garden of Eden, we have a beautiful picture of sinless perfection that appears like God came down into the garden and communicated directly with Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3.8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And we don't know in what way this happened. Did they see God as a person? Did they only see His glory? In whatever form it was, because of their sin that they committed, when they heard God walking in the garden after that sin, they went and hid themselves. Sin cannot come into the presence of God, and they feared Him. And I want to make a note here that we're going to keep coming back to as we go through these, these, uh, this morning's message. At the moment they sinned, a veil was put out between God and man. And it was to separate sinful man from a holy God. There was this invisible veil that was, was put in place at that moment. <clears throat> and God could have decided to destroy, destroy man and sin. At that moment, if it was his choice, if he chose to do that. But this is where we start seeing God responding as a loving father. A father that wanted his creation to be able to have a relationship with him, even though sin has separated them from him in a physical way. From doctrines of the Bible... But God, who created man in his own image, was not willing that man should not have the opportunity to shine in his image in eternity. He had a, he had a, uh, a vision of what man was created for that was beyond that moment. He was looking ahead into the glories of eternity to spend with man. But rather, he came up with a plan that would bring man back to him through his son, Jesus Genesis 3:15 and then also 21. And I put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And that is the prophecy of Jesus coming to fulfill his plan. And then verse 21. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. <clears throat> And we're not, we're not really told how this happened or what it exactly looked like. But it is thought that this would have been the first death that Adam and Eve would have witnessed. But it's very likely that the clothes that God gave to Adam and Eve to cover themselves was from the first sacrifices that He required of them as an offering 
to God for the sins that they committed as an atonement to cover for that sin that they had just committed. Now let's jump into the New Testament. Does this sound like the words of Jesus in Luke 15 when the father of the prodigal son, the son who came home with nothing, was probably dressed very poorly. He just came from the pig pen. And Jesus said in Luke 15, 22 and 20, just 22, I guess. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The loving father saw his son come back and he clothed him and took care of him, took care of his needs. The same thing that God did in the garden. He's, he saw what sin did to Adam and Eve. And he made clothes for them through that sac- the animal sacrifice. Even though they had disappointed him as a father, he loved them and took care of these needs. Now we'll jump ahead to Noah, Genesis 6, 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Was it possible for God to change his mind about his plan of salvation and destroy man at this moment? Maybe start over. But God is God. We know that he can do whatever he wanted. Let's keep reading. Genesis 6, 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. <clears throat> we see one man that saved God's plan because of righteousness. Starting again at verse 12, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth. And the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then 6.14, Make thee an ark, a gopher wood. Rooms shall thou make in the ark. Shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Again, if Noah did what God told him to do, he and his family would be safe. He called Noah out of the sin-filled world into the safety of this ark. A symbol of what was to come through Jesus. Genesis 7-1 And the Lord said unto Noah, Come now, all thy house, into the ark. For thee have I seen righteousness before me in this generation. Again, righteousness of one man kept the plan of salvation in place for us. Genesis 8, 20 to 22. This is when Noah come off the ark. Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offering on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. When Noah built that altar and sacrificed those animals before God, God smelled that sweet savor, 
And he made an observation that man's heart will always have an evil bend to it because of what sin did. But he concluded that he would not destroy all living things again as he did with the flood. But he would continue with his plan. We see God entering the next phase of preparing people for his perfect plan. But let's look back first to the uh, time before the flood. <clears throat> if God would have sent Jesus then, would the world have been prepared for him? Would they have recognized the significance of that final sacrifice when there was nothing in place to point them to something better that was coming that we know as a final sacrifice? And we, I think we can all say that probably not. Abram's called, Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be, blessed, be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and bless them that curses thee. And it shall be, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went out with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. We see Noah and his family called out of the sinful world as, as the only righteous man at that time. Now we see Abraham called out of his home country, away from his family and all that he knew with a promise from God that through him God would make a great nation. We see a call of separation, calling a people out from the rest of the world. And does this remind you of the New Testament when the church is called out from among the world? God is using, again, the Old Testament to point to better things that were to come. And several times through the next chapters, God promised Abraham that from him would come these great nation and he would make a new covenant with him. And then God challenges Abraham and told him to go offer his only son Isaac. And these are the verses that preceded this event. And said, in the, sorry, Genesis 22, 16 through 18. And said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and not hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And in Romans eight thirty-one and 32, we see the same thing happen where Paul was explaining what that God did this exact same thing that Abraham did with Isaac. Abraham went the full extent. He would have done what God asked him to do because he was going to be obedient to what God, God called him to. In Romans 8, 31 and 32, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his, only, his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? So again, we see these things over and over 
that are a picture of better things to come. We jump ahead to Moses. God called his people out of Egypt, the type of sin. And God was present in the cloud and in the fire. We continue to see God calling him out from these places. And it's another, again, a picture of the New Testament church being called out. Called to a separation from what? Separation from sin. Coming to our scripture reading this morning, in Leviticus 16, we see God giving Moses instructions for Aaron to carry out the sin offering for him and for all Israel, known as the Day of Atonement. This was God's way of preparing a people for the final sacrifice, his son. And they could not deviate from these instructions in any way. If they would, it could lead them down paths that would be so far apart, so far away from his plan that they would never, they wouldn't even recognize Jesus and the sacrifice that he was going to be bringing for the final sacrifice that God had in mind for us today. I'm going to read from 1 through 22 and then 31 and 34. A bit of reading here, but it's it's all in the context of what we're we're looking at this morning. Leviticus sixteen one to twenty two. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat which is upon the ark that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in the water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of, of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat, that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood which his finger 
with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, and this is for the people, and to bring his blood without, within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, wherefore and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord to make an atonement, and shall take the blood of the bullock, of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it with his finger several times, and cleanse it, hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he had made an end of the reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation, the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgression and all their sins. Putting them upon the head of the goat shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall go, let go the goat in the wilderness. Verse 31. And it shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. In 34. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. <clears throat> In the first verse, he gives them a warning that if he doesn't want to die as his sons did when they were doing these sacrifices their own way, he would need to carry out these instructions just as he was told. This was not in his own way, or he would die just as they did. <clears throat> and in verse 2, he was not to go into this holy place behind the veil whenever he wanted to. It was to be just once a year. Now here's where we see the, the physical veil in place that separated God from man. When he gave them instructions to build the temple, the tabernacle, they were to put this veil in place to show them that there was a separation <clears throat> between them and God that was for a greater purpose. And in the future, as we keep going, God himself would tear down this, this, uh, this veil that was put in place. And he also said that God himself would come down in the cloud over the mercy seat on this yearly event. And we have the ram and the bullock that Aaron was to uh, to offer for himself, for his family. He was to take this this blood from these animals and take it into the holy place first, as an atonement for his sins. 
so that when he went into the holy place with the blood for the congregation, that he would be clean. <clears throat> so he was. He went in behind the veil and put put the incense, lighted the incense there, put the incense on the fire, which uh, made the cloud over the mercy seat so that God could come into the presence with him and that Aaron would not die from being in the presence of the Lord, but that God would be in this cloud. And he would go in with the blood from his offering and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and on the floor in front of God and he was only allowed to do this once a year, and he could never go in to this room without blood. Then Aaron would take the, the two goats, present them before the Lord, be, before the door of the tabernacle, and he would cast lots between them and the, the lot that fell on the one for the Lord became the one that would be killed for the sin offering. And the other one would be chosen for the scapegoat. Now the goat that was chosen for the Lord would be killed and the blood would be drained into a bowl. And Aaron would immediately take this blood behind the veil and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and on the floor in front of it. And God was, like I said before, was present in that cloud above the mercy seat. So this was done in the presence of God himself. And again, this veil was the type of an invisible veil that was put in place in the garden when sin separated man from God. And the only way that someone could go behind there with was the blood of atonement to cover for their sins, for the sins of man. And another thought that came out as I as I studied this was the was the thought that life is in the blood. And when the high priest made the cut to pour out that blood, the life would leave, would flee that animal. And God gave many warnings that they were not to eat the blood for this reason, because the life of the animals was in this blood. Leviticus 17:11 for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Examples were given of a, a human body. You know, you can damage nerves and other parts of your body and it can still live. As a, if a person is paralyzed and loses function on parts of his body... It doesn't die because the blood continues to flow through these through these parts. But if you take the blood flow away from a limb, it begins to die immediately. And it reminded me of <clears throat> my cousin when he was a young boy. Um, unknown to his dad, when they were filling silo, he would go to the back of the silage wagon and hang on the webbing Underneath, as it came to the back of the wagon, would let go before it went around and, and underneath the uh, the back side of the the panel. And one time he didn't let go soon enough, and his hand went around with the webbing in underneath the panel, and it kept pulling till his arm was in, until it was up to his shoulder. 
and then it detached it from the body. And I remember, I was pretty young at that time too, but I remember the talk of how they put this arm in ice and flew it with him to the hospital with the hope of reattaching this arm. And the surgery was successful. They reattached the arm, the nerves, the blood vessels, everything that it needed to again be functional. But there was, there was one big concern that needed, one thing that needed to happen. And that was his life blood had to flow through every part of that body again, through every finger, thumb, every part, so that it would live. Because without that blood, it would begin to die immediately. And I remember they put leeches, I don't know if that's the correct name for them, but these blood-sucking little things on his fingertips to help draw that blood into the, the farthest uh, parts of this, this arm. And it was successful. And his arm is not the same as his good arm. It's not as strong, maybe a little smaller, but it's very useful compared to being without. And it, and it just gives the, the truth of life is in the blood. All the blood cells, all, all the, I, I'm not a doctor, I don't have the terms to go with it, but that is what is feeding the rest of our body and giving life. As we move on through this chapter, verse 21, Aaron then takes the scapegoat and he places his hands on the head and confesses all the iniquities and all the transgressions, all the sins of the people of Israel, putting them on the head of the goat. And then a strong man would take the goat into the wilderness and release it. It was a type and shadow of what was to come. The first lamb being the sacrifice. Jesus, the spotless, sinless lamb, would die and shed his blood for us sinners so that we can go free with no penalty. Verse 30 and 31 that I read. This was the day of atonement that would cleanse them. They were to observe this as a Sabbath day. And they should afflict their souls, humble themselves before God. And they would realize that it's because of Him that they can live and be forgiven. And they shall keep this forever. This atonement, the sacrifice, the day of atonement was to be kept forever. Through all these thousands of years, God was preparing people for Jesus and His final sacrifice. To us, it's easy to look back and question why all these things had to take place in the Old Testament. But considering it from this side of the cross, if there was nothing in place to prepare for this event, how would people ever be able to grasp the crucifixion of Jesus for them? I was going to look through Hebrews 9. I'm not going to do that. Um, Paul gives a, a good explanation of the, the Day of Atonement in the New Testament setting. He does not condemn the first covenant in the Old Testament, but builds on it to convince people 
at that time and us today that this is what God had in mind for many, many years before. The way would be made for people to come to him and the veil would be torn down that we could have direct access to the throne. Let's go to the New Testament now, Matthew 27. Matthew 27, 45 to 54. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. In the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lamas Sabachthani. And he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, Let be, let's see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept the rose, and there came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watched, watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, and saying, Truly this was the Son of God. So two things that happened here. One, it was heart-rending. To those looking on, it appeared like the darkest day of the world that they had ever experienced. Jesus, the man that had poured out his life to others for the last few years, was now suspended between heaven and earth, struggling to breathe. An innocent man, treated so shamefully, hanging in excruciating pain for six hours, and his own mother watching him. And then to add the thought that he was the scapegoat to bear the sins of the whole world. And we understand why the sun refused to shine. And then his last words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But it was also glorious. In the midst of his suffering, he prayed for his enemies. He spoke words of peace and pardon to the wretched thief hanging by his side. He looked down and seen his mother and made provisions for her. And then he committed his all to his father and took his last breath. This was all done willingly to carry out God's plan that was designed years and years earlier. And God manifested his power to the world. There was the power of the earthquake. The rocks were broken apart to the point that the centurion that was watching said, truly, this was the Son of God. Let's go back to the temple veil. The important thing happened here at this time. The veil that was leading into the holy place, that man was not allowed to enter, only the high priest, was torn wide open. It was another physical thing that God did so man could grasp the spiritual meaning of it. 
This curtain was, or this veil was thought to be about 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and three and a half to four inches thick. And I remember a speaker years back made the observation that if the earthquake would have ripped the veil, it would have ripped from the bottom to the top instead of top to bottom as the earth opened up. It would have separated from, from bottom to top. But as we look at it, it's like God reached down with his finger and split it from top to bottom. It didn't matter how thick, how heavy, how big. And it opened the way to the mercy seat in the temple where God's presence came once a year. But this was only symbolic of the veil that was put between God and man in the garden because of sin. And this veil also was torn open. Man again was able to communicate with God directly. He was able to do it without the high priest doing it for us. Is that it? Can we now walk into the presence of God because Jesus died for us? Is that the end of it? We often hear the comment that I'm saved because Jesus died for me. Which is true, but I'm going to suggest there's still one, one thing missing. If we go back to the Old Testament, no one can enter the most holy place without blood. Jesus had just opened the way to the Holy of Holies, to heaven, where God's dwelling place is. And what makes us spotless to go before God in His dwelling place? Hebrews 9.22 Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without shedding of blood is no remission. John 19:33-37 John 19:33-37 But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already they break not his legs but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith is true, that he might believe. For these things were done, that the scriptures should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, they shall look on him who they pierced. There was drops of blood when he was in agony in the garden. There was drops of blood when the crown was pushed into his brow. There was drops of blood when the nails pierced his hands and feet. But his lifeblood did not flow out of him until that soldier who thought, possibly thought he was getting the last jab at Jesus thrust his spear into Jesus' side and allowed his blood to flow freely under the ground. As Jesus' flesh was torn, it symbolizes the veil that was torn apart between God and man. Jesus' blood was poured out, his lifeblood, as an atonement for me and for you and all mankind, as life is in the blood. There's many verses that support this. Uh, I'm not going to read them all. 
sake of time, but I'll read First Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know, they have not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And there's many others. Jesus' own words in Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. And I, I don't want to lift this to a place that is not meant to be. But let's look at one more thing. When you hear the phrase of taking it to the foot of the cross, or that all the answers are at the foot of the cross, what does it take to get there? It takes humility. Like it said in Leviticus, to afflict your soul, to search my heart. It takes humility to admit my sins and to pour them out to Jesus. It takes humility to go make things right with others. And this is the only way to come to the foot of the cross, broken and in need of a Savior. And the blood, that atonement to cover my sins. And to realize that I cannot get to God on my own. And only when kneeling at the foot of the cross is when you have access to the blood of Jesus. And this blood will wash your spots away and you can pass through the veil into the presence of God without shame. And again, I want to stress the fact that God had this all planned before we knew anything about Him. If you struggle to see God as a loving Father, but as a Father that is harsh, make this your own study. It is a Father's love that would give His only Son that we can have life and have it more abundantly.